This was very interesting, Dr. Copeland. Uh, thank you. Uh, you showed a graph that uh, men, especially older men, are more active than women. And you also showed another graph that men die younger than women. <laughs> and you did say that uh, uh, physical activity uh, prolongs life. Mm -hmm. So my question is, how come men die younger than women? This is a loaded question. I am a woman. I am a woman. It's not a commentary on who's better. Um, <clears throat> so there's a few uh, ways that I can address that, but in trying to be succinct, I will say. So first, the that gap used to be actually quite a bit wider. Um, men dying much younger than women, and that gap is actually narrowing, and it's projected to narrow even more over the next, uh, the coming years. Um, and that has historically been tied to a few uh, important things. Risky behaviors is one of them. More men uh, used to smoke, uh, drive cars, engage in other sort of risky behaviors, so that actually was a big part of it. And the other big one is heart disease. Um, heart disease affects more men than women, and so... Um, that was the other. That is one of the other big factors. Uh, the only other thing I'd like to add in answer to that question is that uh, physical activity. There is some evidence that it promotes longevity, um, although n not as strong as the evidence that it promotes uh, healthy longevity. So uh, it may be it may play a bigger role in um, that health-adjusted life expectancy than it does in overall life expectancy. And I think I would go so far as to say that most of us, when pushed, are far more interested in our health-adjusted life expectancy than our life expectancy. I, I would also like to say that please don't feel like you have to call me Dr. Copeland. My name is Jennifer. You can call me that. Dr. Copeland, I'm just going to ask a question for you. We get some others. <laughs> you didn't follow the rules. I see our, my good neighbor approaching the mic. But the question I have is, in an aging population, what can you do to suggest... I don't think you're on. Sorry. In an aging population... Project like you're in the courtroom. In an aging population, what can you suggest we should be particularly mindful of to motivate us to be more physically active? If we know that that's a challenge... We know that the, the data suggests we're less inclined to do it. What would you suggest we should be mindful of to get over that challenge or that difficulty that is so prevalent? Hmm. Is there something, is it a psychological issue or is it a will issue or do you have something that you could suggest to us? <laughs> oh, so I can. So so the question is, uh, is that, you know, since it seems to be a challenge for people to be physically active, is there something that I can suggest that people need to think about to help them be more active? Is that, that a good synopsis? Um, and so I think that, like many things, that really depends uh, on the person. I think there's a lot of individual variability in there. But I think that knowledge and awareness is a really important thing. So things like today, hopefully you learned about the many uh, benefits of being physically active, and I can certainly talk more about those if any of you have very specific questions about that. I kept that part a bit general. Um, so sometimes I think people need to be aware, and the other thing that I find um, is 
important in terms of awareness is people need to be more aware of what they are doing with their time. So often when I show that slide showing that this group of individuals who were all doing at least an hour a day of purposeful activity still spent eight hours of their day sitting, um, people are often quite shocked. And if they start thinking about their own behavior... um, I think that maybe when you start recognizing that you really want to avoid all that sedentary time. And in fact, there's sort of a whole movement in the physical activity research world of people that think maybe we need to stop promoting physical activity and start uh, promoting reducing inactivity. That if people spent more time worrying about sitting, um, that the problem would take care of itself. Um, So maybe I'll leave that there for right now. I'm not good at being succinct. Jennifer, my name is Mary Searley, um, and I think you've just covered what I was going to comment <laughs> on. Uh, I think for a lot of people, it's mental attitude to actually getting up and doing something. And, you know, and I think you Do you yeah. know how to get people motivated? Yeah, I think, I think what motivates everyone is a little bit different, but I, I do agree that there is, um, there is a cultural shift that needs to take place. Um, one where physical activity isn't a chore and it isn't a, um, it isn't some annoying task that I sort of know is good for me, but that it's A, a critical, critical component of being healthy, um, and that it's something everyone should be doing and should be happy that they're able to do. And, and, uh, that cultural shift, I think might be coming, but, uh, we still have a little bit of a ways to go. And I mean, when you consider, like I said, things like these drive-throughs, I mean, drive-throughs are a particular rant of mine, I should say. My poor family has been subjected to this many times because I, I also have, uh, I was very interested to hear about the upcoming speakers because I also have a bit of a passion about the environment. And I actually think that, um, these two issues that I'm passionate about actually fit together really, really well. Um, and that, you know, sitting with your car running all the time through these drive-throughs is both bad for the environment and incredibly bad for your own health. And so I think people need to just sort of start thinking about the little things maybe instead of, because I think maybe part of the problem is when you watch TV and you assume you have to go to the gym and you have to work out and you have to wear a skimpy tank top and uh, run a marathon, who, I mean, that's daunting to the vast majority of the population. But maybe if we start thinking about just all the little things, it will make a difference. Yeah, I have a little uh, anecdote. My daughter helps uh, an old lady who is very arthritic and literally can't move. She said, Mother, I watched Audrey get into the car the other day. It took her exact, it took her like five minutes to get from A to B, to get to the car. She says, Mother, she says, be thankful that you can do it and get your ass out of here. And so, do it. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And that's, that's what I was trying to get at with my, uh, my title. It, use it or lose it is a little bit cliche, but it is, um, it's the truth. Jennifer, thank you for your presentation. In one of your early slides, you spoke of the first cohort of the baby boom generation reaching, uh, becoming seniors. And I, I, I'm not trying to challenge your math, but I think of the first cohort being in 1946, and you showed a 2006 slide, and you did say in your research you are considering 65 to be seniors. I just would like to know about that. What do you consider to be baby boomers? When does it start? Right. So I'm also not going to uh, debate that point because I've actually done a little bit of reading on this and this is a debatable point and demographers do do actually argue about this point about what actually is and there's that whole sort of, I forget what they call it, 
the pre there's a they've actually some demographers have given a very specific name to that pre baby boom generation, um, but that figure that 2006 that came from the Heart and Stroke Foundation right they're identifying this as the start of the baby boomers so that's their their demography not mine. Okay, the other and then I'll ask a little question. Uh, we and uh, seniors who are using you know the uh, TV screens and do it what what could you give your overview of how helpful those kinds of things are? Do you believe? Like, Sorry, you know when you have a computer, you can play tennis by oh, like a virtual, like a we, a we, and that sort of thing. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's interesting. I was expecting that question. And you get that question a lot from parents of kids, actually. But now um, more and more people have these these games. So um, I'm a scientist, so I, I like to... Uh, I only answer questions or try to only answer questions based on evidence. And those things are quite new. So we don't actually have a lot of research yet to suggest what good or harm those those things might be doing. Um, but I've asked that question myself to some people that specifically study um, pediatric physical activity and pediatric obesity. And they said exactly what I would have uh, thought, which is it's it's a fine supplement right? It's better than playing video games. And so if you want to play video games, then that's probably a better choice of video game, but it's no replacement, uh, for actually being physically active, getting outside, um, and, you know, engaging with life. My name is Van Christou. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Copeland for uh, coming here today. I'm surprised that you'd come with a message on aging to such a young group of people as these. Well, I, I wanted to catch you while you were still young. <laughs> the um, thing that I want to focus on is the, the uh, contention that I have that we are a, uh, uh, we're people of habit. And that um, as we get older... If we haven't had the habit of keeping active, it's much more difficult to do it. Um, personally, if I, if I may reflect on myself, I was really lucky that uh, during uh, the war years that I had military training where I learned the value of, uh, I could feel the value of, of physical ex- exercise, which I continued. But my question is this, don't you think that we should be including physical training as a, uh, as a more integral part of our whole educational system right from kindergarten and started early if we expect uh, seniors to carry it on in their old age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And um, to the first part, I mean, I think that that's true. If something's not a habit, um, of course, it's, we can all make new habits and change is good. So I don't think the fact that someone hasn't been particularly active before uh, should be seen as a barrier. I think that's one that could be, can be overcome. Um, but your other point, I think, is well taken. And, and uh, the researchers that are particularly interested in pediatric um, uh, pediatric obesity and that sort of crisis that's ongoing uh, certainly do look at that and it's interesting what, what they've shown and again, uh, if you think of my pie chart in the breakdown of the day uh, school-based activity is not going to fix the problem, right? There's just not enough time um, so you'll get that nice red chunk of an hour of good phys ed class. That in and of itself is not going to fix the problem but what I think you're alluding to is what we can be doing in those classes is promoting uh, physical activity for health as opposed to and, and I'm, I'm a big fan of sport. I'm not going to criticize sport but the reality is sport is not necessarily for everyone and so I think in, in uh, these physical education um, curricula they 
need to be focused more on physical activity for life and and uh, promoting that as, as something that everyone needs to do throughout life the same way as we teach them about good nutrition and, and other aspects of lifestyle. So that's a very good point. Uh, Dick Kerber, I'm interested in your choice of terminology, specifically disease avoidance. My preference from a healthcare aspect would be disease prevention, which to me would mean a more, far more active involvement in my personal health. But yeah, yeah. No, I mean, some of that is just is a bit uh, semantics. But I think I think the reason people like myself choose that term is because um, really what physical activity does is it reduces risk. It, it doesn't prevent, right? We're 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 loath to say that because as fast as I say that, someone who's run a hundred marathons is going to come up and tell me they had a heart attack. And what am I talking about, right? So um, so we we tend to be careful with our language. And so really, it reduces risk and it reduces it significantly. These numbers aren't minor. They're not small. They're very substantial, um, but uh, they certainly, you certainly, I certainly wouldn't want to stand up here and tell you that it prevents all of these things, I guess, is probably why I use that term. It helps prevent. My name is Tad Mitzi. Thank you, Jennifer, for coming. Muriel told me not to miss your talk. <laughs> And uh, she was right. My question is, is there a limit to longevity? Uh, my mother uh, died almost 100. And towards the, she was happy all the time, and she was very healthy until the end. But she said, I don't want to live too long. <laughs> my friends are all gone. Uh, she was very active in volunteer work. Nobody asked me to do anything. How can I contribute? I don't want to uh, go away from you, but there's a limit. Uh, isn't there some way to prepare ourselves to <laughs> accept death at certain age? I come from East. And there's a problem in Western society. People treat death as a curse. Is that a right thing? Hmm. Does anyone want to answer that? Um, so, I, I actually, yeah, I, I agree with actually everything that you said. Um, at first, I thought you were going to ask a technical question. Is there a limit? Because I actually just recently read uh, a very strange article about nanotechnology and how it may be the secret to, you know, eternal life, um, and which I actually found a bit creepy, quite frankly. Um, so I agree, and I think that uh, I tried to get at that point when I talked about this difference between uh, quality of life and healthy life expectancy and life expectancy. So um, I think life expectancy is on the rise, and I think that that is only a good thing if health-adjusted life expectancy is also on the rise. And I don't think, I mean, I agree with, with what you're saying about the, um, about the, 
uh, our sort of the way we sort of view uh, death in in our culture. But at the same time, I don't think if pushed, anyone uh, would tell you that they just wanted to live 10 more years no matter what, right? People want to live 10 more years with high cognitive and physical function, uh, with engagement with life, and they want to do it successfully. So, So I agree. I think that needs to be the focus. I think that sort of answers your question. Hello, I enjoyed your presentation. My name is uh, Cheryl Bradley. And a lot of the discussion is about, I think, personal initiative in becoming physically active. But you did allude to the fact that how we design our buildings or our communities also can contribute Mm -hmm. to increasing physical activity. And so I'm wondering if the profession has ways of rating communities as far as their... Um, ability to encourage physical activity and, and yeah. maybe just some of your ideas mm-hmm. on what community design uh, criteria may be for encouraging that s- sort of activity among the aging. Sure. Um, thanks for that question, actually. I have all sorts of things to say about that. Um, but I will be succinct. So uh, one of the uh, we actually had this conversation, uh, you know, over lunch quite a bit, and uh, and I am going to take this opportunity to plug another talk that's coming up um, that I'm involved in in organizing. Um, so uh, physical activity in the built environment is a whole field of research that's just kind of exploding right now, and it's actually not exactly what I do. Um, so I'm certainly not an expert, but I have done a bit of reading on the topic. And uh, for sure, there are things that urban planners and urban designers can do to make, uh, to just to make it easier. Um, and some of those things are as simple as aesthetics and, uh, you know, safe environments, These, this bike path, walking path, so people feel like they're not going to get run over by a car if they go for a bike ride. There was a survey that I, I read about in preparing for this talk where they say almost half of Canadians say they want to bike more, but are afraid to because of safety reasons. And so I think this is a really uh, a really important thing that needs to be considered. And uh, what we talked about over lunch is the fact that, unfortunately, as long as economy continues, or economics continues to drive decisions about these things, um, there's going to be continue to be a problem. And, uh, you know, there was not that long ago, and I actually think this was in Edmonton, although I don't want you to quote me on that, that they designed the first subdivision with no sidewalks. It was actually completely, you know, sort of presumed that everyone would get in and out of there by vehicle. And uh, this kind of thing is just a catastrophe in terms of human health. I mean, not even a sidewalk to walk on. Who, Even if you were going to make the effort, where, you know, where would you go? So there are a lot of things, um, and I think this idea of of, uh, what I mentioned about, like retail centers being accessible and walkable. I was saying at lunch, I live in Sunridge on the west side, and there is nothing for people in Riverstone or in Sunridge. There's no way for me to walk and grab a jug of milk or for me to walk and grab a loaf of bread. It's, it's, I mean, I guess I could if I had a couple hours to spare, but, um, but we are all busy, right? So, um, and so those kinds of things are, are a huge problem. And it's interesting because some of the research suggests this is an even bigger problem for the older adult population who grew up where you kind of have to be active for a reason. There has to be a purpose, right? This whole idea of sort of just being act, going for a walk for the sake of going for a walk is kind of silly, but if you tell me I'm walking to run an errand, then okay, I can probably make that, that work. And, and I think that's true of the population as a whole. And so I'm just going to take one quick second to plug this talk that I mentioned. So uh, I'm part of a community, Healthy Communities Association of Lethbridge and Area. 
Uh, and we do all sorts of great things, even though you've probably never heard of us. And uh, we are hosting a talk, um, co-sponsoring it with the Alberta Centre for Active Living. And it's being held June 1st at 7 p.m. at the Lethbridge Public Library in the Theatre. And uh, we're bringing in a researcher from U of C, Dr. Uh, Tish Doyle-Baker. And the topic is, how can the built environment influence health? And so she's going to answer that question, you know, in much greater detail than, than I just did. Thank you very much for a beautiful presentation. So helpful, interesting. Uh, I would like to ask a slightly personal question if I can. Oh dear, okay. Uh, You've been talking about the dignity in life. I would like to ask a question about dignity and death. Do you have a point of view about uh, euthanasia? Do you think that we should have uh, some better way of dying than, than to end existence? You and I know, all of us know, desperate cases of people wanting to die and uh, as a result of their physical activity or not, but can't in our society. Do you have a point of view about that? So, so at lunch, someone said, you know, sometimes they ask hard questions. Uh-huh. I see. Um, I'm not going to answer that, actually. Um, I think I, I do. I mean, I respect that question, and I, I think uh, I think actually, you know, anytime you get on to sort of this topic about aging and health-adjusted life expectancy, this this does come to mind. So, so I certainly understand where you're coming from, um, and. Uh, and to be honest, you know, that's something that I, yeah, I'm not actually exactly sure how I feel about that, to be honest. So, so it's not just that I'm not willing to answer you. It's that, uh, that maybe uh, I'm not quite sure what I would say if I was pushed. Because I really do think sometimes on a case-by-case basis, I think you can make sweeping statements and generalizations, and then you hear a story that makes you feel differently. And, and I recognize that. So, so that's why I'm going to respectfully decline. <laughs> Come on, Knut, give me a good one. Hello, I'm Knut Peterson. Uh, Jennifer, I would, you know, the title is kind of a cliche, and uh, use it or or lose it is usually associated with sexual activity, I think. (laughs) But I'm not going to ask you any questions about that. It's just going from bad to worse. Anyways, uh, I'm leaving now. Uh, I wonder if uh, do you see a tendency on the part of government, whether it be municipal, provincial, or national governments, is that they're quite happy with the way things are going. They they they're not going to stick the put a stick in the wheel to stop the way things are going. They're not. Uh, participation was one program that there was <coughs> discontinued. And do you see a yeah. tendency on governments to just let this one slide? Yeah. I mean, I think... So participation was revived. I don't, I, th- I don't know if you know that, but they actually did uh, give some money to revive participation just a f- couple of years ago. So, you know, those of us that remember all... I always remember the song, you know, participation. Um, they don't sing anymore, but uh, they do have those commercials that you might have seen um, where the little... It's actually kind of the funny commercials with the kids that are... Um, 
you know, they're 10 and 12 years old and talking about their bad hip and, and you've all seen those. And so I actually, um, it's interesting. I'm sort of veering off topic here, but I, I think that's really interesting because all those participation commercials are about kids still. Um, and I'm never trying to dispute the importance of physical activity for children and youth, but I do feel like the older population gets ignored and there's more of us, but anyway, um, so I think that in some areas they do make efforts. Um, I think it's often political, right? I think the, uh, for example, the child fitness tax credit, for example, is something um, that the Harper government brought in and that, I, you know, I think you could weigh the pros and cons of that, but it was some effort on their part. And so I think that some efforts are being made, but that uh, the kinds of things that need to be done are expensive. Um, now, if someone were to do the math, I believe that the health care cost savings would actually pay that off. Um, but that is a, a difficult thing to convince people of. So, so I'm going to be vague on that one and say, I think there is, I really think there are some, um, politicians that are interested and that understand. Interestingly, I just read an, an article in my running Canadian running magazine this morning about a group of, 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 uh, multi-partisan politicians that all run together on Parliament Hill from all different parties. They meet and go for a run and refuse to talk about politics. Um, so I think some of them, you know, care aren't invested, but uh, I think there's still a long, a long ways to go. And I do think it's one of the things that's probably the first on the chopping block when, when the chopping block inevitably comes, which is unfortunate. On behalf of uh, SACPA, I would like to thank Dr. Jennifer Copeland for coming out this this day and presenting a very stimulating conversation.